open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 4 as we continue to study this Word of God, the blessed Word of God. I was told to make sure that this was interesting this morning, and since it is the Word of God, it will be, even if I'm not. Galatians 4, we'll read verses 12 through 20 and be blessed by the Word of God. The, the only thing that you're going to hear this morning that's inspired are these words. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Father, we don't know others' hearts, Lord. We don't know our own hearts very often well God, but you know all things, and Lord, you are not perplexed. Lord, I pray that we would not come away from here perplexed. We would be clear and understand your truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, that we would believe and act on that belief in life for the glory of your great name. Amen. Well, one of the great themes of the Reformation over 500 years ago was a reminder of the understanding of what was called the priesthood of all believers. All believers in Jesus Christ are priests before God. It was combined with the sufficiency and the authority of the Scriptures. It was a, a reawakening of that understanding, a renewal of that doctrine. For many years, Christians had been taught that the Bible is authoritative over our lives, but only when you listen to it from a priest, from someone from the clergy. Most people don't, the church was taught, understand the gospel. Most people can't understand the gospel, the Bible itself. Only as you are taught by an authorized, recognized priest can you do anything with the scriptures. So the priesthood was the true authority in much of the church for many years. You wouldn't know what the Bible said without the priest, and even if you did know what it said, you wouldn't be able to understand it because you need the priest to tell you. The priest was the one who would explain it, who would interpret it, and help you apply it. And so as a result of the efforts of many during the Reformation, the Scriptures were brought to the language of people so that people, Christians, could read it for ourselves. And we can understand it because of this priesthood of all believers, the Holy Spirit working in us to illumine God's Word in our hearts and minds. And because of that, Christians became aware of 1 Peter 2.9, where we're told that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Why? That we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
So Christian, not only can you understand the scriptures yourself, you can then proclaim the excellencies of God to other people. And that's what we do as priests to God. We have a high priest, Jesus himself, who brought us to God. We don't need someone else to go between us. Jesus is the one who goes between God and man as the God-man. So the priesthood is not only not necessary, it's intrusive. It tries to interject itself in between us and our great God. And this was not a new discovery at the Reformation. It was, again, it was a renewal of a proper understanding of where we are before God. But one of the unintended results of this teaching, especially when you elevate it above the authority and the, and the power and the sufficiency of the Scriptures, is a bunch of people today, and sometimes we can find ourselves in this, who believe that we are autonomous in our faith. We repeat the errors of the past on a broad scale. I decide what to believe. I decide what's true for myself. I'm the one that decides whether there's a meaning in the Scripture or even if I should read the Scripture at all because I stand before God. I decide whether to obey or not and still think I'm okay with Jesus. And see, we can elevate this doctrine above what the Scripture says as our authority. And many of us have done this, many without realizing it, but Often we can do this. It's led to many today thinking that I'll listen to whoever I want. I'll, I'll think and believe what I decide as long as it seems right to me. As long as it feels right and as long as it resonates with me, I'll, I'll take it. I'll use it. God speaks to me just the same as he does to anybody and just the same as he does in his word. And so he'll just tell me if I need to change. And that's how we operate so often. Effectively, we've said the word isn't the authority I am. What I think, what I want, what I believe is the authority. And the problem with that is that he's already told us what to think. He's already told us what to believe and what we need to change where in our life. If there is anything that we think or believe that stands in contradiction to what God has said, we need to change, not what God has said. And there's much in us that needs to change, more than we realize more than we realize that the change to be more like Jesus to the, to the glory of God is going to continue all the way until Jesus calls us home, either through death or through the rapture. He's already corrected us in his word. He continues if we will listen. But when we think it doesn't apply to us, when we think that we're above that or beyond that, you know, I, I don't need to read the Bible, we can easily fall for false teachings, for wrong teachings, for teachings that go off track. Often we think, oh, that's just not going to happen. There's not much of that out there. Or we think, I'll be able to spot it. Or it's just not that big a deal. I'm already saved, so it doesn't matter. These are things we tell ourselves. But it happens more often than we think, and we fall for it more often than we think. And there are consequences when we do. There are many consequences, not just for ourselves, but for others. We talked about last week how responsible we are for one another, to help one another, to watch out for one another when we're sinning or when we're wandering or whatever way. But there are consequences for falling for false teaching and wrong teaching, including, but not limited to, not being saved. There is false teaching that we can fall for that claims the name of Jesus, that claims Christ, but will lead us to God's punishment in hell. If it's not the Christ-given gospel that we believe, if it's not the one that comes from God, the true one, if we, as we've been studying in Galatians, it's not the saving truth of Jesus, we'll be found guilty of our sin, no matter what we thought we were believing, and we'll be condemned forever. 
So that's a very serious consequence of false teaching and, and of wrong teaching. But there are other consequences as well. And these are, brothers and sisters, I need to tell you this is good news. This is grace of God. Because if the only consequence was that we were sent to hell, by the time we figured out we had fallen for false teaching, it'd be too late. So it's God's grace that he allows and brings consequences into our lives for falling for false teaching. And that is what we can be thankful for, because in this part of the letter to the churches in Galatia, Paul is drawing their attention to this fact. Here are some consequences of you turning away from Jesus to false teaching in the Judaizers. This is what he's drawing their attention to. He's, he's already addressed that the wrong gospel leads to anathema, to curse, right? In, in chapter 1, we, we studied that together. But here are two more two more consequences, and he's not doing this in an academic way. He's not saying, no, if this, then that, and it's scientific, and it's mechanical. This was very emotional for Paul. This is painful for him as they're turning away from him and, more importantly, from the gospel. Let's look at what was happening in Galatia. When the churches began turning away from Jesus and into false teachings, the first consequence that Paul talks about is, number one, a splintered fellowship. In verses 12 through 16, a splintered Fellowship. Now, Paul calls them brothers, and it's brothers and sisters. That's the way the language worked. If there's a group of men and women together, you refer to that in the masculine. But he's speaking to believers in the churches as a family, brothers. But then look at verse 16. Have I then become your enemy? See here in verses 12 through 16, they're centered on the relationship between Paul and these believers, these brothers and sisters. But the fellowship has been splintered. It's in danger of being split and torn in two. So he says, I entreat you. That's the word for I pray you. I ask you, I request that you do this, that you become as I am because I've become as you are. I became as you are, so now become as I am. In other words, look, we've been brought together by Jesus. <laughs> we've been brought together by the true gospel of God. He is how we came together. He's the one who brought us together. We didn't come together because we had so many similarities. Paul and these believers in Galatia were very different. They hadn't held on to their own traditions, their own preferences, everything that separated them. They had come together in Jesus. Paul is saying, let's get back to that. When he had come to Galatia, he had to sacrifice his traditions, his preferences, his likes. You know, this is the way we like to do church in Jerusalem, so Galatia, do it the same way. This is the way we live life. As a very religious Jewish man, Paul could have said, look, this is how I do it, and you need to become like me. No, he had come and he had become like them. And in fact, 1 Corinthians 9 is where he explains that a little bit more for us. It's our model for evangelization. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. He said to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. He said to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And he said, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So for the sake of the gospel in Galatia, Paul had put aside, set aside anything he liked or had or was, and he didn't go to people who were just like him. You know, I'm going to find some people like me, and they'll like me, and I'll like them, and we'll get along together. No, that, that wasn't the basis of, of anything he was doing. 
He went to anyone and everyone who would listen and to share with them the gospel. And he would become like them so that they would listen and hear. He says when he became like them, it was a sacrifice. But it was for them. It's for their benefit. And he didn't come with that pedigree that he carried around in, in Israel. All throughout Israel, the land of Israel and, and in the Jewish religion, you, you know, Paul was a Pharisee. And he was a really high up Pharisee, a really high ranking Pharisee. In fact, he'd been trained by the great Gamaliel. He was a Hebrew of Hebrew, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, you know, do you know, he would have been a celebrity in, in Israel if he'd kept with that, if he'd stayed that way. But he threw that all away. He tossed that all aside if it was nothing because it was nothing compared to knowing Jesus. So he came here to Galatia as a nobody with the message of the great one, Jesus. And as he says in 1 Corinthians 9, he endured anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. He said also in 1 Corinthians 2, when I came, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. So become like me, brothers. And he's not asking them to do something that he's not willing to do. The, the very things that they're turning back into, that they're turning into Judaism, that's what he had turned out of. He, he was very familiar with all of those things. He was doing, and he was asking them to do what he had already done. Let's get back to fellowship in Jesus. He says, you did me no wrong. Now, why does he say that? Well, even though this has affected their fellowship and it has hurt him, he's not complaining about what they're doing to him. That's not what his chief concern is. Uh, remember the verse directly before this. It says, I fear I may have labored over you in vain. You know, he's not whining about, well, you know, all of my time is wasted and, and I'm just upset at what you're doing to me. It was labor, it was sacrifice. But it's not himself he's thinking of here, it's them. He's not a, upset at the offense to him. He's, he's willing to bear anything for their sake. He's upset at what they're doing to themselves and to one another, to their testimony around them. In fact, when he came to them initially, they were very good to him. And, and he says here, it's like he's saying, I'll never forget that, how you cared for me. Verse 13, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Now, what is this bodily ailment? What is this that he was suffering? There's a lot of speculation about it. Some kind of physical problem had, had brought Paul to them and, and enabled him to preach the gospel. But whatever it was, it was apparently pretty severe because it was a burden to them. And my notes just jumped. <laughs> so one of the guesses is that it could have been, before he had come to the area of Galatia, that he had contracted malaria in the coastal plains of Pamphylia. Now, malaria symptoms can recur over time. They give you a fever and a headache, and they can cause all kinds of problems in the body, but they can come back. That's, you know, after you've suffered through it, it can, it can return. And so the prevailing advice for helping with the high fever was go up an elevation where it's cooler, and then you can put up with the, the fever a little bit better. The elevation changed from the sea level at the coast in Antioch and uh, from the coast to Antioch and Pisidia was a climb of 3,600 feet. So he had been in Pamphylia and then he climbed up to where Galatia is and it was considered at the time one of the most dangerous and difficult journeys in the world to, to make that climb up. You would have to have a very good reason for it and of course Paul's reason was to bring the gospel. But you remember that was the time that Mark had abandoned them during that missionary journey. That may have been part of why. But one of the effects of an increase in elevation, if you're not used to being at elevation, is a headache. 
and malaria already has intense headaches. They were compared at the time to a red-hot bar being thrust through your forehead. These were intense headaches. So Paul says when, when he was there, uh, maybe it was malaria. Maybe it was that reason, and, and he was just, his head was pounding, and, and he had severe, debilitating headaches from malaria. Maybe that was what was debilitating. Maybe that was what he had. Others say that uh, Paul says, you didn't scorn or despise me. The, the words mean to hold him in contempt, to avoid him and spurn him. But the second word carries the idea of spitting at him. And that's something that people would do when they encountered someone with epilepsy. You would see someone and they start to have a seizure and, and you don't know what to do, so you assume it's a demon, so you spit to keep the demon away from you. And Paul says, you didn't do that. Maybe it was epilepsy, maybe it was debilitating headaches. He says in verse 15, you know, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. That's a pretty uh, vivid description there, uh, pretty eye-opening, if you will. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That wasn't in my notes. You can just blame me for that. <laughs> Malaria can bring symptoms, even including blindness. Uh, but the guesses here are that it was some kind of eye infection, or this, is a, this was a pretty novel one. Remember when Paul was on the, the road to Damascus and he was converted, he saw the bright light. Some people say, oh, well, it damaged his eyes permanently when he saw that bright light. I don't know. It's, people get pretty creative. But the fact is, we just don't know what it was. Maybe it was those headaches, maybe it was fever, maybe it was a seizure, or maybe it was some kind of eye problem. Paul knew, they knew, he didn't go in, need to eat, go into any detail, but it was significant, it was a burden, but they cared for him. They cared for him during all of that. Rather than just assuming that he had an evil spirit and spitting at him, rather than treating him with superstition and thinking, well, it's just bad luck, you're on your own. Rather than assuming, he, well, you're under the judgment of God, that's why you're suffering. Rather than assuming you just have a weak God. That's why you're suffering. Instead of all that, they received him, he says, as an angel of God, as if he were Jesus himself. They received him. They took him in, they listened to him, and they believed in Jesus. And they counted themselves blessed for all of this. That, that's what this word, he says, what has become of your blessedness. That word is, is congratulating one another. Like, this, this was so great. We were so full of joy that Paul had come. How fortunate, how blessed we are because when Paul came he, came, he he came with Jesus. He brought us Jesus. So rather than a burden or a curse, Paul's coming to them was a blessing that they celebrated. It was great. So now as, as an aside, just as an encouragement to you, brother or sister, don't worry about trying to wait for the right, con the right circumstances to share the gospel of Jesus. Paul came in among them and he was sick and he was a burden to them but he shared the gospel, even if he was a burden. So don't worry about whether you can share the gospel to a person because you were just running into the store and you have your pajamas on still. <laughs> you know, I can't share the gospel with them. What would they think? We want them to think about Jesus, not us. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. Share the gospel in your track suit, in your business suit, <laughs> in your pajamas. Whatever you're wearing, your condition doesn't matter. Their condition does, and the gospel matters. When you're sick, when you're healthy, when you're poor or wealthy, whatever you are, wherever you are, live and share the gospel. Here came this man to preach the message of power and wisdom, even though he's weak. Well, that's kind of the point, isn't it? <laughs> that's kind of the point, that this is God's power and God's wisdom. God worked in them. They saw Jesus in the message, and they responded. 
our circumstances, our methods, they're all subject to the work of God. So don't get convinced. Don't convince yourself, oh, I can't share the gospel right now. Oh, uh, they wouldn't listen right now. Don't talk yourself out of it. But Paul and the Galatians had been, had been close, and, and Paul's visit with them had been such a blessing because they cared for him physically and he cared for them spiritually, and they had a great fellowship. So now in verse 15, he says, where did all that go? I mean, you would have gouged out your eyes for me. I mean, some people say, again, you know, that referred to a physical problem, but it could have been just a figure of speech to mean you'd have done anything for me. There's a story, in fact, from not many years after the letter of Galatians written. It was written by Lucian, and it was a story about friendship, about a man who offered to pay any ransom to rescue his friend from an enemy army. The ransom demand that they said was, if you want to rescue your friend, we're going to take out your eyes. You're gonna, we're going to take your eyes. And so he was blinded to free his friend. And once he was free, though, the man couldn't bear to see his friend blinded for his sake, so he blinded himself. <laughs> what friends do for one another and how friends are there. Paul says, you'd have been willing to give up your sight, to give your eyes. They were willing to give up their most prized bodily possession of sight for Paul. They'd have done anything. He's, and he says, I would have testified to that, you know, under oath in court. <laughs> I would have testified and said that that was, a, but now there's a change. The fellowship is splintered. Why? He says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? The very truth that had brought them together in his difficulty, in, in problems and things that weren't comfortable, that's what's dividing them now? What changed? It wasn't the truth. It wasn't that Paul had changed. The problem, the difference, was that the Galatians were falling for false teaching. They were falling for what was not right. Their their works were being exalted over Jesus. Remember, they're, they're trying to work their way to heaven. They're trying to work their way to holiness. They're trying to do it themselves. Their supposed ability to obey the law to please God was what they started to worship. That's what he said in verse 8, you're enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. The elementary principles of the world, the things that you just, everybody knows these things. You just buy into all these things. They're going back to all that, but they think it's new. Oh, this is something new. It's new teaching. It's exciting. I can be good enough. I can make myself good enough. But their fellowship is broken now, and it came about because they were falling for wrong teaching. So, brother and sister, if you start listening to a preacher or a teacher, or you start reading a book, or you're listening to music, or you're coming up with ideas on your own, wherever it's coming from, if you have some ideas and beliefs and it starts to break fellowship with people you know to be Christians, stop and take a step back. Sometimes, so often, we can fall for false teaching. We can fall for what's wrong and not even realize it. So one of the consequences that comes about is a splintered fellowship. Look, all these people that I was around for so long, I know they love Jesus. I know they're saved. They're Christians. But now I don't want to have anything to do with them. Well, there's something going on in my heart, in my mind, some teaching, something that I'm believing. And we understand, yes, the gospel is going to divide. It's going to divide between believers and unbelievers, Christians and non-Christians. But truth should not divide Christians. teaching that divides Christians from fellowship needs to be examined. It needs to be looked at and maybe kicked to the curb if it's false, right? If we finally figure out, oh man, (laughs) that's not what I should be believing. It could be that you've fallen for it. And even if you don't recognize it on its surface, when you start to see the splintering of fellowship, that should be a tip-off. 
Now, another aspect of this is to notice when someone questions you about something that's really important to you. You know, you've seen this, and you just ask somebody a question, and they fly off the handle. How dare you? What are you talking about? You don't know. How do you react when somebody questions? The Galatians here are getting very defensive as Paul confronts them on their wrong beliefs. He's like, what, am I your enemy now? Just for sharing the truth with you? Because their beliefs had become idols in their heart that they don't want to let go of. And brothers and sisters, we can do this too. We can find these works, our own works and our own things that we like and prefer. We can find them as idols. And if somebody comes along and questions, we'll defend those to the death. That becomes a hill to die on, right? When you and I believe something that's so important to us, when somebody questions, we see ourselves getting defensive or angry about it. We need to examine what we believe and why. Why is it so important the gospel so, should be so important to us that we're willing to get rid of anything else, any kind of other teaching for the sake of Jesus. So false teaching has a lot of consequences, and it has effects that spread. The fact that a teaching is wrong or false, you know, we may not recognize it right away. We might not see it. So if we watch for false teachings, we watch for the effects of them that can help us to be aware and to stay away from those. It can tip us off before we recognize even even that it's false. So Paul had come and, and as a burden, but the truth had come with him, and they had believed, and they were all together in fellowship and joy. Well, Paul's not a burden anymore, and their fellowship should still, still be there because the truth hasn't changed, but, but the fellowship is splintering. It's, it's falling apart. And what had changed was their belief in the truth. Remember, our fellowship is based on the gospel. Our fellowship, you know, if you take away the gospel, you, you get away from the gospel, our fellowship goes away also. It goes together. So when you notice a break, look to yourself and what you believe first. Look at what's happening in your own mind. Are you believing the truth? Do you need to help other people hear the truth? You know, somebody says, oh, I'm getting out of here. I'm leaving this church or I'm walking away from there or, you know, I need to get away from all these Christian people. True friends tell each other the truth. Even if it's not what they want to hear, right? He says, am I your enemy just because I'm telling you the truth? The first consequence that falling for false teaching can have is, is these verses, a splintered fellowship. But the second that he points them to is number two, a stunted growth in Christ. A stunted growth in verses 17 to 20. Now, one of the hallmarks of false teaching is flattery. One of the things you can be sure of is that false teaching is not going to drag you down. It's going to make you feel pretty good. It's meant to flatter you. Paul was giving them the truth, and it was causing a rift because that's not what they wanted. The false teaching was giving them what they wanted, so they were willing to accept that. Here's what Paul says in Romans 16 about those who cause divisions, who bring false teaching. He says, such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So he says here in verse 17, they make much of you. It's a word that in other contexts, this is how the, the strength of this word emotionally, the, the emotional strength of this word, it's the word for jealousy, and it's the word for courting, for courtship. A young man finds a young woman that he's interested in, and, and he's devoted to her, and he wants to show her how much that he's interested in her. That's the word here. They're, they're courting you. And they bring excitement and praise. You feel important and you feel loved. You're getting all of this attention. And you therefore feel capable of doing what they tell you to start doing, to start obeying what they say. They flatter you with attention and praise. They make much of you. But he says it's for no good purpose. What are they doing? 
Verse 17, Paul says, they want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Now, the question here is, what do they want? What are they trying to shut them out of? Well, it could be that Paul is saying that they use some reverse psychology. They want to shut you out, alienate you with all their rules, all of their supposed holiness, and you get shut out and you try and you try and you try until finally you've tried hard enough and you're one of them. So you can make much of them. And so you, you have this bond now, but they're so great, and you become like them after so much effort, and so now you're together and you have that bond. That, that can be a strategy of false teaching. You get that sense of achievement and, and a part of something. But what I think really Paul is saying here is that the false teachers, these Judaizers, are shutting them out from the gospel. They shut you out from God's grace that comes through faith in Jesus Christ because they've ingratiated themselves to you. They've made themselves part of you so that you're enthralled with them instead of Jesus. You start to look up to them. They take the exalted place of Jesus as the great ones in your life, all these amazing holy men that teach so wonderfully. They shut you out of the gospel so that you can make so much of them. And you can see this happen today. I've seen it in my own life, in my own heart, where you hold somebody up higher than you should, somebody up on a pedestal that shouldn't be there, right? You make much of them because they're making so much of you. You can see it when you question somebody's dedication to Joel Osteen, right? Or Rick Warren, or Joyce Meyer, or Beth Moore. And, you know, you question, and say, don't you say something about them. Don't you say something about that teaching, these are great. Te- they have helped me. They've done so much good for me. They're so inspiring or, or whatever else is said, right? We hear this from people, but what people think is growth in their faith and growth in Christ is often just what they feel inside because of the flattery, because of the good feelings they've gotten from the teaching. They make much of those who listen to them. Paul calls it out here. They make much of you, but they're shutting you out of the gospel. Why? So that you'll make much of them. They become our heroes, our leaders. They, they have all of our allegiance, right? Watch for how highly you elevate any preacher, teacher, pastor, book author, music writer. Even, even good teachers, even good preachers, pastors, don't elevate too highly. Jesus is the one who's at the top. Jesus alone. Now, verse 18 can be a, another difficult verse. The sense seems to be here that, you know, there can be good that comes as a result of being made much of. It isn't wrong to make much of people who've had a good impact, especially through the gospel. That's what Paul seems to be saying here, that that he enjoyed that there in Galatia. (laughs) You know, they cared for him. They took care of him. His being there was a big deal. So the contrast, the warning here isn't that it's bad to make a big deal out of people. The warning is making a big deal out of people for no good purpose. And when they made a big deal out of Paul, it was for the big purpose, the good purpose of making a big deal out of Jesus, the one that Paul had brought. You know, yay, Paul's here and he's brought Jesus. That's a good thing. But these Judaizers had brought the flattery into the Galatians so that they would follow them instead of Jesus. Oh, these honorable men, it's such a great big deal to have them here. Let's follow all over them, right? Let's honor these men because it became all about the men and all about them as they followed and became like those men. So verse 19 is where Paul describes the no good purpose. It's a stunted growth in Christ. And he begins with, my little children. And this is the only place in all of Paul's writings where he says, my little children. The only time he addresses someone like this. My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. 
These people were so precious to him. They were his little children. But they're still little, and that's the problem. Yes, they're believers, at least most of the people that he's talking to. They're part of the family of God by adoption through faith in Christ Jesus. What a blessing that is from God. And this is affectionate, but they're still little. And Paul is in anguish over them because of that. This isn't a small amount of concern. He compares it to the anguish of childbirth. Now, ladies, you understand he's just guessing at that. <laughs> he's, he's making an educated guess, but he had never given birth, nor could he ever have given birth. But he knows the anguish that he feels for them over this. And, and it's, they're missing the formation of Christ in them, and so it's, it's painful to him. This is what every believer in Jesus should want. This is what we all should want for one another, and it's especially felt by pastors who have this responsibility to help you grow more into the image of Christ. And he had felt this for them previously. He came initially, and he brought the gospel to them, and it was, it was anguish. Like, I, I really want them to accept this gospel, to know Jesus, to love him. And it's a familiar feeling. He's, he's feeling this anguish again because either, number one, they're showing that their profession at the beginning was false, or number two, they're so little in their faith that they're so able to fall so thoroughly for false teaching. So it's one of these two problems, and so he's just feeling this, this anguish and this pain all over again. They need Jesus to be formed in them. They need that growth. They need that maturity to be happening. And it's not happening as they follow false teachings. The growth is being stunted by what is not the gospel. This is going to be a consequence every time. False teaching, no matter how inspiring it feels, no matter how much it seems right or how much it resonates with us, every time it's going to stunt our growth as a follower of Jesus or it's going to prevent us from becoming a follower of Jesus. Now, we've got to be careful here. We've got to, you know, there are a lot of ideas, a lot of different views about what it means to grow in our faith and to grow in Christ. Specifically, this is Christ being formed in us. It's the idea of 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are all being transformed into the same image, the image of Jesus. And it comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's the same idea as 1 Thessalonians 3. Verses 12 and 13 where he says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is what should happen as we grow in our faith, as we grow in Christ, we become more like him. We grow in holiness and in love, the pure, powerful gospel brings about our justification and our sanctification. And then one day, Lord willing, our glorification will be growing in love and holiness, growing more like Christ, sinning less, even though we're not following a bunch of rules, because we love Jesus. And it may be a slow process. It may have hiccups. It will have hiccups. None of us is going to be perfect until we get home. But this is, ha this is what will happen. We will grow more like Christ. So verse 20, the anguish just comes through. He says, I just wish I could be there with you. His tone is strong. He's, he's fierce. He's forceful, but he's loving. You know, how would it be different if he were there? He'd probably be more loving, but he's just perplexed. Literally, he's at a loss. I'm at a loss to know what to do. You know, he said, I've given you the truth. You have Jesus already. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got his word. Paul shouldn't even need to be there. But he wanted to be so he could help them, but he can't be, so 
Stop falling for the wrong thing, he's saying. Stop going the wrong direction. They've fallen for something, and they're falling for it, and it's produced a splintered fellowship, and it's produced a stunted growth in Christ. Now, like we said, there are other consequences that can come along, and they're not here in these verses, so we can't do an in-depth study of these, but I wanted to bring out some more for you, for your your benefit to look for and to watch for. If you're believing something, believing some kind of teaching that that brings you some consequences and, and brings some, some signposts for you, you can watch for and you can be aware. If you're listening to some teaching or you're starting to believe something and, and think something and it takes you away from the Word of God, if it gets you away from the Scriptures, you're, you're believing something wrongly. But, but it's encouraging. It's helpful to me you know, it's producing something good in my life. It may be something practically earthly good in you, but if it's drawing you away from the Word of God, it's not good. We can be sure of that. Christians cannot be away from or out of the Word of God for long, or if it's distorting what the Word of God says. It's so clear. It's in Scriptures over and over again. Yeah, but I don't think that's what it means. I think it's something else. We can do that, and, and that's when we can tell. It's a, it's a sign. It's a marker. It's a warning for us. If it's something you believe and something that you're being taught and you're listening to and it's causing you to drift away from church, I don't need to be part of the church. You know, I I only need to be, it's just between me and Jesus. It's between me and God. Something's wrong with what we're believing when we get away from the church. If you're not praying, I don't need to pray. What's that good for? (laughs) Or if you're not praying with God's people, coming together, something's wrong. We're believing something is wrong because we are completely and totally and wholly dependent on God for every breath, for every bite of food, for every sip of water, or coffee, or tea, or, you know, know, as we talked about earlier. We're dependent on God, and prayer is that expression to that, uh, of that truth to God. Something's wrong with our teaching if we're not praying. If you stop giving or stop serving in the church, there's an issue because, well, you're not actively worshiping as God calls us to worship, as God has said. If the teaching that you're receiving causes you to constantly think about me, What else can I get? How much more is there? What power do I have? What else can I do now because of this or that? Because Jesus is in, because I have the Holy Spirit. What about me? What about can I do? What can I get? Evaluate that kind of teaching. One of the things that was so, um, it stood out so strongly for me was several years ago when I couldn't say I'm sorry. I can't apologize. There's, you know, I've done something wrong. Well, but it's, or even if I could, you know, well, I'm sorry, but. I'm sorry, but. You know, you did this. You said that. I'm sorry, but. <laughs> when we see those things in our lives, you know, we've got some wrong beliefs. We've got some wrong teaching that we're holding on to. Evaluate what we believe and evaluate what the effects are of our beliefs. We can understand more clearly. This is all to help us. We are... We may not always be able to, f- to pick out the false teaching. We may not be able to recognize it because it's meant to be appealing to us. It's meant to sound good to us. But watch what it leads to. Watch what it produces in your life or others' lives. This is the grace of God to reveal it to us. So hold firm to the word of God as your authority. Hold firm to Jesus as the good news gospel all the time in every area of your life. You are a part of the priesthood of all believers. 
but you can, be, you can be drawn astray. You can be brought away. Use this call to call others to Jesus, not to use it, don't use it to call others away and lead others away from him. Our application first is hold fast to the scriptures. The authority of the scriptures, the sufficiency, this is how we fellowship, this is what the basis of our fellowship is, it's how we grow. Do you have any other areas in your life where you know what the Bible says, I just don't feel like doing that. I don't want to do that. Or maybe you have a feeling about what God might say. You know, I haven't looked at the Bible, it probably says this or that, but I don't want to listen to that. I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. Hold fast to what God has said. Reject what man has said. Even if that man is you. (laughs) Even if you've come up with that. It's the authority and the power of God's word. And then second, watch for signs of false teaching. Watch for the false teaching also. Keep your eyes open. Be awake. Be aware. Jesus told us constantly. Paul told us constantly. John told us. Jude told us. (laughs) All throughout the scriptures, we are to watch for false teaching. But if we miss it, sometimes we might. Watch for what it produces in your life or others. Father God, we praise you, Lord, for the Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord, our Lord. God, thank you that he didn't fall for anything. Lord, he came and stood on your word, the truth of your grace and your love. Father, thank you that he already did all things to please you in perfect righteousness. God, he earned that, he did that, and God, he could have just basked in that. But God, he came to give that to us. Lord, he came to give that as we turn from sin and believe in him for the first time. But then, Lord, he continues to give that as we continue to believe, as we continue to hold fast to him. Lord, I pray that that would be true of every brother and sister in this room. Father, if there is someone who doesn't know Jesus this way, Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts to understand the gospel and to understand their need for that gospel. God, we need your forgiveness. Lord, we need your grace. Father, the only place to find that is in Jesus. Lord, help us who know Jesus to live out his word, to live in obedience to him because we love him. Lord, because we fear him, because we worship him, we adore him, and we're thankful. God, what a joy this is to be a part of your truth, to be saved by your grace, Lord, to have access to your word, to have brothers and sisters to help us along. God, I pray that we'd see things this way, that we would change what we think if we need to, to match what you have said. And Lord, we need to in so many areas. God, we praise you for Jesus. We praise you for the Holy Spirit who works through your word in our hearts and minds to change us. God, help us to hold fast to that. We love you. We love your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.